play action for Kirk from under center. Straight drop. Kirk trying to win it to Thielen. Caught at the five. Cousins, Thielen, 42 on the Saints. Kirk takes the snap. Looks right. Fade left. End zone. And it is caught. Touchdown! Hello, hello, let's go. It's your man, Flip Mozzie, and thank you for spending some time with Ryan Ortega and me today. We're here in June, continuing the roster preview series, doing the take a leap players for the Minnesota Vikings in 2020. Ryan, give the fans a little color. Let's let's talk about your favorite Minnesota Vikings game. Oh, yeah, sure. That's a fun one. You know, doing well. You know, it's been a little while since uh, I popped on a pod, so thanks for having me on. Yeah, favorite Vikings game probably has to be my uh, the very first one I actually ever went to. It was uh, 2007, um, and I, I'm obviously, those who listen or know me, I'm a big Oklahoma fan. Uh, so at the time, I was a big Adrian Peterson guy, and this is my first game live, and this was against San Diego Chargers. So we I remember that went, game. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, that was a game that AP broke the record for a single game, a single yard rushing yard game. And gosh, it was just such an experience because watching my favorite player of all time breaking a record in my very first game at the Metrodome, it was just uh, an experience. So um, that's probably going to be my one that it will probably stick up for me forever. That's incredible. I think was that his rookie year. I, yeah, yep. So I, I yeah. and I'm pretty sure, like at halftime, he was just having like an average game, like sixty or seventy yards or something like that, and then he just took off in the second half. You went off, and, I, and that yeah. game was much hyped because it was like the new guard of AP against the old guard, Ladainian Tomlinson, and and actually two records were broken that game because Antonio Cromartie, I believe, ran back that kickoff missed field goal for a right. touchdown which was like you know 109.6 you know, yards so mm-hmm. i remember watching that game and i was watching it with a co-worker who was uh also an oklahoma alum that's when i was down in texas at that time but we watched that game and peterson like for a rookie to do that type of work was just amazing to watch i remember we left early and we just heard on the radio that he broke the rushing record at the time i was like i I was like okay it's just a start he's gonna break the rushing record at least three more times before yeah before we're done with him but those were those are great times in vikings history yeah it was fantastic and yeah i was just a little annoyed i was like come on chili just let him let him get break the 300 barrier you know obviously we wanted him to break the record but he was four yards away from 300 might as well just right. you know set a whole new benchmark there even though he did break the record so it, it was fun uh the stadium was electric and what a first game to see live 296 yards yeah, that's an awesome game to see live uh well let's transition to the players you know adrian peterson he took the leap right away but we're going to be discussing existing starters who are set to dramatically improve for the 2020 season. So I sent you a list of candidates. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Here's the players we're going over. We've got offensive tackle Brian O'Neill, the center Garrett Bradbury, 
You've got wide receiver B.C. Johnson going into his second year. We've got linebacker Anthony Barr. And we've got cornerback Mike Hughes. So out of those five players, Ryan, who do you think is going to take a leap in 2020? You know, what's funny, Flip, is that uh, every topic that we've been going throughout your series of different pods you're doing, uh, it seems like Mike Hughes is available for every single one of them. You know, make yeah. or break year, biggest leap, whatever it might be. Um, so I think we've talked enough about Mike Hughes this offseason that uh, I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going to go uh, with ta- offensive tackle Brian O'Neill. Okay. Um, obviously, in the Vikings fanhood, he is very loved. We, we like him. You know, he, he's done such a great job specifically – in that sack category, which is something that we always, as fans, always take a look at because we're just used to having turnstiles at offensive tackle. So to have a guy who is competent enough to at least fend off the defenders from getting sacks, he's still letting up some pressures, um, not very many, but some, Um, and, and he's not the best run blocker in the world, but he's not giving up sacks, and that's a huge thing. So, um, I think that even though he's done well in that category, there is quite a bit for him to improve upon. Um, and, and I think that he's ready to take that leap, not only as a player into what I, what my prediction would be as Pro Bowl caliber play that he's going to leap into this year, but also from a leader standpoint. I think he's going to kind of take over that OL room and, and really be, be the new leader in that room. I know Reef's still going to be in there and he's still going to be the, the leader, so to speak. But I think Reef's going to be on his last year or two here, and it's the, the passing of the guard to O'Neal. Okay, well, that's, that'd be a quick climb for O'Neal for sure. Uh, can you just go a little bit more? You know, these other players here, Garrett Bradbury's on the offensive line too. Uh, you've got the receiver, B.C. Johnson. Why does Brian O'Neal pop out to you over those other guys? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, given his the beginning of his ascension already as a player, it just already looks promising. So when you take a look at like a BC Johnson, he's got competition with Jefferson and Sharp, and then he's fighting for, for targets even with, you know, Irv Smith, who's expected to take a leap this year, and Kyle Rudolph, and of course, Dylan and Cook. So, so he, it's going to be tougher, I think, for him to ascend, right? Garrett Bradbury, he was another guy I was considering here. I, 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 he has a lot of promise. I really like him as well. But again, when you take a look at what we have to work off of, the, 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 the snaps we've seen and the data that we've, that we've been able to digest, our Bradbury had a rough rookie year. Not an awful rookie year, but just rough, uh, especially you know to the eye here. So to be able to take that leap, so to speak, he might be able to take a leap, but I don't know if that leap means just getting a little bit better like O'Neal did from rookie year to second year or leap as into like a Pro Bowl type season. So when I took a look at this, I was like, I think O'Neal has Pro Bowl caliber talent. And I know the Pro Bowl is arbitrary, whatever, but if he can get the nod (laughs) pre-injury, not a replacement player, that usually says a little something considering um, offensive line is usually just big names. He's not a big name that I think is going to become a big name this year. A couple little things that I like to point out here. He, his rookie year, he was obviously fantastic. Didn't let up a sack, but you know, his 
PFF grades weren't great. So obviously there's, you know, sacks are great, but there's other things that we need to take in, uh, in account when we're looking at how well a player is playing in terms of their pressures, their, are they doing what they're supposed to be doing every snap, what have you. And he scored a 63 his rookie year and took a nice, healthy seven-point jump into his sophomore year. That's okay. fantastic. That actually ranks highest out of anyone that I compare him with in his, in his class. So, so is that me- mainly due to his pass blocking or his run blocking? Where did he improve the most? He significantly improved in his run blocking. He went from a 58.3 up to a 70.3. That's a, okay. a 12-point jump there. Um, his run blo- or his pass blocking also did well, a, a, fi- a nice little five-point jump for him there, too. So, so that sounds so like a little... Yeah, so that sounds like a little Rick Dennison effect. If you remember, Brian O'Neill's rookie year was the one where Tony Sperano unfortunately passed away. We had co-offensive line coaches, and then Rick Dennison came in in O'Neill's year two. I mean, and hopefully that's great coaching helps, man. Right? Like great coaching makes a big difference. Um, so if you want to compare O'Neill to some of his counterparts from 2018, that that rookie class. McGlinchey had a better rookie year, but he he got worse his second year. He ended up letting up about five uh, five sacks, I think it was uh, last year alone, um, and he had a few his uh, his rookie year. But he increased his pass blocking, but significantly was worse in his run blocking ability. Colton Miller, another first round pick. O'Neal's blowing him out of the water both years, just playing really well. Isaiah Wynn, another first rounder. Isaiah Wynn actually had a, you know, he redshirted his year, got hurt, but in his first year has been, it was solid. But again, O'Neal's showed out to be better. Now, the one that I like to compare him to, it's the guy that I wanted us to draft was Orlando Brown. Now, Orlando Brown has played uh, better than O'Neal in both years based on PFF but he is a much worse run blocker. Okay. So um, o, uh, Brown's run blocking score is 61 and 59.4 his second year. So not great, but his pass blocking is significantly better. Brown can't so, get out into the space like O'Neal can, man. That's right. And, and again, scheme fit. I uh, totally understand why O'Neal's a better fit. Um, but, you know, uh, just, just throwing that out there that Brown uh, has scored better and is, is a Pro Bowl player. But uh, Oklahoma. Um, Either way, though, I think O'Neal's done a great job so far, and I, I can see him continuing to ascend, as he's already shown to do, into kind of that next level of, you know, the, the elite of the tackles in this league. Okay, so you see him as a top 10 left or right tackle? Right tackle, absolutely. You have Lane Johnson, you have Orlando Brown, Ryan Ramchek. And there's uh, Mike McGlinchey again. He's kind of battling with for you know for that kind of top five ish spot. I think so. Um, I'm, there's one that I'm for sure. Oh, uh, Mitch Schwartz uh, out of KC. So you know you got some really really good talent out there at right tackle, but I think he's gonna for sure be in that top ten, but maybe even try to push into that top five. And you're saying about at the end of 2020, that's just gonna be a known fact. Everybody's gonna think Brian O'Neill's a top five right tackle. Yeah, you know, he's kind of got that it factor, man. I, you know, watching him, some of, some of his best games are against the best talent we played against. Uh, the Saints was, I think, his second best game of last year. And, uh, and he, he's been playing really, really well. And I don't know if you saw that fire that he's just got this fire to him that is yeah. just, um, it, it is, it, it just makes you like vibe to him, right? Like, 
I, I don't know if you saw the post came when uh, Kirk Cousins like, oh, I got one last, last thing to say. You like that? And I don't know if you saw Brian O'Neill in that video clip, but uh-huh. he went nuts. And you can just tell that he is just insane, and I love it. I love that out of my offensive lineman. That's good. We need that attitude. You know, w- one question I have with O'Neal is he did – he was playing next to Josh Klein last year, and the Vikings decided to go a different direction uh, this season for 2020. So what what does the rest of the offensive line – have how do they affect O'Neal being at that right tackle spot is he just going to be on an island or can he depend on some of these other guys we have on the line you know that that's a good question so right tackles or I mean sorry right guards likely going to be a battle this year from what we know as of today which is very little between Samia and then potentially Elfline Let's hope to God it's not offline because we've seen the results there. But, you know, Samia, I, I've obviously watched him play a lot at Oklahoma, and I think he's a very capable guy. Uh, he didn't play much last year, only against the Bears, which, again, I don't know how much the Bears starters were, you know, how hard they were really playing um, in that final game with nothing to play for. Um, but he held his own. He, he played well. Uh, not fantastic, not, not great, but he played well. Um, and that was – still in year one of that strength and conditioning. He did need to add some weight and needed to add some strength to his game. So coming in year two, I, I'm really excited about Samia, partially because I'm an Oklahoma fanboy, but partially because I, th- I think that he's got a lot of talent to work with. Um, and let's just see where that goes. But I think O'Neal has the ability to kind of, because of how well he's played and his experience, he can kind of help the young guy along as well. You know, and that's going to be part of his role on this offensive line as being that leader, mm-hmm. getting those guys riled up and getting them ready to roll. And I, I, so I think he can play well with Simeon next to him. Josh Klein played well last year, but again, he wasn't like an all pro guy. You know, he had his deficiencies as well, and he was hurt a few times last year. So we had Dakota Dozier in there, and he had some fill in guys, replacement level guys in there, and he still continued to play well. That's great. That's great to hear. So you got him with the the captain's badge on his chest by the end of this year. I, I think he takes that one over uh, once Reef is gone. I think he'll take the captain patch from Reef. Who do, who do you think the offensive captains are in twenty twenty one? Um, yeah, it depends on how many we have. I guess typically, what you have six captains on a team. Let's say three. Three on the offense. I would go with. Well, Reef's going to stay one. Kirk's going to stay one. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put that on Thielen just because okay. he's got to be the leader in that, uh, in that wide receiver room. Okay. Well, if, if you listen to Miles, Miles is saying no reef in 2021. It's time to move off on from that guy. Oh, in 2021, he's gone. And yeah. like I said, I think that, that Captain Patrick that goes over to Brian O'Neill. O'Neill. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there you have it, y'all. Brian O'Neill on the fast track, a riser in the Vikings offense. Hopefully it's a start of a youth movement around Kirk Cousins. You ready to move on, Ryan? Yeah, let's see who you got. All right, so I'll just say my pick. I'm going with Anthony Barr. Now, a lot of Vikings fans feel like Barr is overrated, overpaid, yada, yada, yada. PFF, which you cited in your analysis of Brian O'Neill, they hate Barr in their grading. And... I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of the hate. 
especially PFF, who they had the gall to list this guy as a one-year wonder. Uh, and it, I read the article, just completely lacked context when it comes to Anthony Barr. The grades don't value what he does. And every time you listen to Mike Zimmer and how he likes to use Anthony Barr, it doesn't match up with whatever PFF or the analytics want to say. And it's clear the Vikings value him. And it's clear, you know, he chose to stay here. He could have gone to the Jets. He values his role too, regardless of what some PFF grade is going to say about him. So throw those PFF grades out the window. All you have to do if you want an example of what's wrong with PFF grades is look at week one, 2019 against Atlanta. Barr generated four pressures on nine rushes. He notched five tackles, four run stops, allowed five catches for a whopping 31 yards in a game we won easily. PFF grades him as the ninth best Viking defender in that game. Yeah. So, so let me state this clearly. PFF is garbage when it comes to Anthony Barr. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know, I, I don't always know what goes into those grades. I also don't always know what we're doing with Barr. But to your point, he clearly is a valuable piece. Otherwise, we wouldn't be paying him that type of money. Because these grades for Barr aren't all that different from last year as they were before we paid him. Right. So clearly, we like them enough, despite those PFF grades, to pay him, what is it, 13, 12, 13 mil a year? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so I think there, to your point, there's further context that are needed beyond those grades uh, in regards to what Barr is bringing to the table. Yeah, and I'll go on. You know what? The fan hate is garbage when it comes to Anthony Barr, too. It's all just these one-time anecdotal plays. It's the Josh Allen hurdle or a mismatch on Robert Woods or like a block on a misdirection plays. They don't credit his value due to his consistency, his value due to a defensive play caller, when you continue to put in that consistent play and when you're a guy Mike Zimmer can trust with the green dot on the back of your helmet, that's a valuable player. That's a team captain that they have in Anthony Barr right now. And I just think 2019 was a down year for him. You know, and, and yeah, like I said, I agree. I, I think the hate towards him is a little uncalled for, in my opinion. Now, granted, did he play up to that contract last year? Basic eye test? Probably not. But again, you're not going to do that every year. You're going to have down years. That just happens. It's how you rebound. It's how, do you take that leap into that next level? You know, he's yeah. been a pro bowler and in, in, in whatnot. So it's not like he hasn't been to that level before. But can he get back there is is the question and i i think he certainly can he's a very dynamic player that has the ability to disguise what our defense is doing and i think that's his biggest uh attribute Mm -hmm. is he's got the ability to drop back he's got the ability to rush the passer he's got the ability to just fill the holes Mm -hmm. and sure i think he does a lot of dirty work for our team similar to like what a nose tackle would do by eating up blocks right I think he has, does a lot of that dirty work that does go unseen. Again, I don't know what we're scheming for him to do all the time. Um, I'm not that privy to that knowledge. But I think that, you know, for what he's been doing, I, I think he's been doing it pretty well over the, you know, five years he's been here. Well, yeah, I, I got some ideas, but I want to talk about his contract first because that is a large deal. 
for people. I think he got he got more than Eric Kendricks got, which Kendricks is a five-year, $50 million contract he signed in 2018. But Eric Kendricks, I mean, his signing, fans were scratching his head at that signing too because he was one of the first before they signed Stephon Diggs, before they signed Daniel Hunter, they signed Eric Kendricks. And his value didn't show up on film or on splash plays. He was a consistent tackler. But you fast forward two years, you look at Kendricks' 2019 an, an amazing year. One of the, I think he was top 10 PFF linebacker, amazing tackler, exceptional in coverage. And, and so you, you give these guys a chance when the system is saying they are valued here for similar reasons. That's why I like Anthony Barr at minimum. He's performing his role at maximum. He's going to shine through in 2020. And I think that impact's going to be bigger when you look at the role that they're about to scheme up for him, and I'll go into that, but it's going to be bigger than what an offensive lineman or what like a BC Johnson can do. Absolutely. And take a look at Eric Kendricks quick too. Of, of guys who played significant snaps, he was number one. So, I mean, he, uh, based on PFF. So, I mean, he balled out in 2019, uh, very deserving of that all pro nod. And, and I'm hoping that his, his buddy will join him this year. So let's talk scheme now. He, you know, one of the most underrated moves of the Vikings offseason is they brought in Dom Capers as a defensive assistant. Now, a lot of people are asking, are the Vikings going to play more 3-4 defense? How is Dom Capers going to impact the unit? He didn't have a great track record there at the end in his time with the Green Bay Packers. So a lot of people were scratching their heads. I think it's purely for blitz packages, time to innovate for Mike Zimmer. And Barr's best season, 2015, was the dawn of the mug package. They renamed it. They called it the double A gap look, (laughs) which I hate. What a terrible name. Mug package is a much better term. But the mug was look, I mean, With two linebackers there in the middle at the line of scrimmage, it was new, it was fresh. Offenses didn't know how to handle it, and Barr flourished. So maybe that makes Anthony Barr a little scheme dependent, but it also means, hey, maybe he's blitz dependent, and this scheme is evolving to take advantage of his skill set more not only because he can execute well, but because when you have two linebackers at the line of scrimmage there, you've got to be able to trust them. So I think they're going to be able to trust Barr to put him in unique situations in new blitz packages. We're going to see Barr be put in a position as a stand-up roaming zone blitzer, and I think it's going to work beautifully. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him utilize the, in that way more. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing when he gets to <laughs> rush the passer. I mean, the results show for themselves, right? Uh, yeah. What you said against Atlanta, he had a, a roughly a 50% uh, um, hurry rating uh, in on the nine rushes. Um, and I, you said he got a sack. I think I remember seeing a sack because that was like the first play of the game yeah. uh, on defense. So yeah. um, it, it'd be beautiful to, or, you know, wonderful, I should say, to, to see that more often. Um, mm-hmm. And again, with Dom Capers coming in and being able to provide some more creativity uh, in that. I also think that he's being brought in a little bit 
to, to kind of see what we can do within uh, zone scheming for our cornerbacks, mm-hmm. which could help another one of our potential take a, take a leave candidates and make or break candidates and comeback player Cam, <laughs> and that's Mike Hughes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and to, to help him out and, of course, help some of these rookie um, young or youngsters that are on our team in the in the cornerback room as well. Youngsters, what am I, 50? Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's it'll, it'll be good to kind of see what he brings to the table. Underrated, I don't know if that's necessarily the term I would use, but uh, understated. So it's, it's not being talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know if that's warranted or not because I just don't know what value he's going to for sure bring, but I'm excited to see it. Yeah, yeah, and may, understated is the right term. Just as a just to talk numbers here, Zimmer is going to you know when you look at the the younger cornerbacks, you look at No Everson Griffin. There's going to be a need to bring more pressure. Probably they were really just surviving last year with poor cornerback play. And Zimmer doesn't like to blitz. It's not his forte. He His blitzes are about quality, not quantity. So he's trying to win with well-timed blitzing rather than frequent blitzing. His blitz rate in 2019 was 25%. And that was 19th in the NFL. He's rarely above 16th. So he's always in the bottom half of blitzing defenses. You look at Dom Capers and his zone blitz days, it's all about quantity. His defenses were blitzing top 10, like as much as 40% in some years. So if the Vikings go from 25% to 40% blitzing, obviously that's extreme, but that extra blitzer is Anthony Barr, and we all know that he can blitz. Even if it's like an increase to 30% or to a 35%, he's the main benefactor of a blitzing evolution on defense. I'm really excited to see what goes down. Absolutely. Um, you know, taking a look at kind of your, what you're stating there, um, it should be interesting to see if we do blitz more. Typically when you are blitzing, you have a lot of confidence in your corners because they can't get beat or they can't get beat badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you have to be able to hit that quarterback and they're going to do a quick release. So that means it's quick timing of, or reactions of what your cornerbacks are doing. Mike Hughes actually is very, you know, he, he can get there quick, which I love. He's aggressive in that sense. I'd like to see, and glad me in college was the same way. So I, I'm interested to see how uh, much we do blitz. I think that we should do it more. I, I get excited when we do it. So I, I want to see it more. But at the same time, do we trust our corners? Do our cornerbacks have the ability to, to own that? Because a lot of what they need to do is stay on, their, uh, stay on their P's and Q's and make sure that they're in the right spot. So if they don't hit that blitz, they're not letting up a touchdown or letting up a big play. Yeah, I think what you'd have to do there is look more at Harrison Smith as a box defender and see how you can bring him down to get into coverage when he's not blitzing earlier that will allow you to send bar more often and then you're going to have to trust in anthony harris as that free safety over the top um, in case those corners are getting beat and bar's not getting home but again that's what that's trusting anthony bar harrison smith and anthony harris to do their jobs 
and this defense is going to succeed or fail on those shoulders, those three players, you add Daniel Hunter to that, you add Eric Kendricks to that, that's the bet you have to make rather than, you know, that's how you ease the load on the young corners rather than putting more pressure on them is you give the quarterback less time to make good decisions. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And if there's a guy that I'm going to trust, it's Harrison Smith. So exactly, it, it, Zimmer still has a lot of toys, and he just got some young ones. So we'll see what he does. We'll see if he continues to evolve. I would love for 2020 to be like another 2015, where he does something that the NFL has never seen before. He's definitely capable of it, and I trust Mike Zimmer as a defensive coach. So we'll see what happens. You got. Any closing comments, Ryan? You know, I, I don't think I do. I, I, I'm really excited. I just hope we have a season, first and foremost. Um, this could all Definitely. be for not, but I think that I'd like to take an opportunity to say that, you know, with, with, the, with all of the things that are going on right now in the country, it would be a, a, welcome, <laughs> a welcome sight to, to see football on, on Sundays. Obviously, there's more important issues out there in the world right now mm-hmm. that hopefully we're, we're addressing and, and taking seriously, but I think the world needs a little football. So I'm oh, hoping, yeah. that, hoping we get back to it. it. It would be great to get some football back of any way, shape, or form bring Vikings Nation together for a common goal we all have. That's to see this team win a Super Bowl. So until then, y'all, we'll take it one day at a time. Y'all hang in there. We'll do the same. Hopefully these podcasts are bringing you a little bit of enjoyment in 2020. And we're going to keep on doing them. We'll, We'll do another roster preview series next week. I'll make sure Mike Hughes is one of the candidates. And until then, until next time, y'all, Skull Vikings.